0: Turning in my Old Testament this morning to the 18th chapter of the book of Ezekiel, and I would encourage you to do the same. We're going to be studying from this 18th chapter and focusing our thoughts primarily on verse 4. But before we actually begin the lesson, I want to take a moment to set this verse in its context. And once having done that, we'll make three observations, and the lesson will be yours. Ezekiel was a a prophet who, at the age of 30, was called to his work as such. Interestingly enough, he was also a priest. And he would would have, at the age of 30, began serving as a priest. But in the year 597 B.C., Ezekiel was one of 3,000 Jews taken into Babylonian captivity. So it was impossible for him to serve as a priest in captivity. But God called him to the prophetic office. And for the next 11 years, he would speak to the Jews in exile from 597 B.C. to 586 B.C. And 586 B.C. was the year when Nebuchadnezzar would destroy the city of Jerusalem, which would include the destruction of the temple. As time passed, the Jews began to have questions as to, why are these things happening to us? And one of the things that developed over time was a proverb. And we read about that here in Ezekiel chapter 18, when the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel, saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, Say. The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. Now, a proverb is a statement of general truth. It is something that is accepted as being true. Now, this particular proverb is not found in the book of Proverbs. It was a statement that was being used by the Jews as they witnessed what was taking place around them. And what was taking place was God's judgment against the southern kingdom of Judah because of their sins. And they were being taken into captivity. Well, the question that came into their minds is, we we see the sin around us, but many of the Jews did not participate in that sin. Ezekiel, for example, was not in exile because he was an idolater, He wasn't one who was guilty, at least there's not evidence for it. He wasn't one who was guilty of the sins of the people. And yet he was in exile. There were other good Jews who were taken into exile. And so in time, this proverb came to be used, which was a statement blaming the present situation on the sins of the fathers. The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, we're experiencing this punishment not because of our sin, but because of the sins of our fathers. Now, there was truth in that. But there was something that God wanted these Jews in exile, and all Jews and all people who would seek to have fellowship with God, there was something God wanted them to understand. And and that is that while those in exile were suffering the consequences of the sins of others, they still would be held accountable for their own sins. As I live, verse 3, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. And it wasn't because it was true. It's because they just didn't understand. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, interestingly enough, it had been very clearly stated in the old law. In Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse 16, that fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Well, this proverb contradicted what was clearly stated in the old law. Now, what does that tell us? Well, that tells us just how far away from God's word the Jews had drifted. Because if they would have studied the book of Deuteronomy, they would not have developed this proverb over a period of time that said, well, we're suffering because of the sins of the fathers. No, Deuteronomy chapter 24 and 16 said, that's not going to happen. But the reason it would not be spoken anymore is because they would come to understand that they are accountable. They are accountable for their own sins. Verse 4, Ezekiel chapter 18, and this is the verse from which we're going to take our our study this morning. God says, Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. Now, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He then illustrates this with three generations. I want you to follow this. And let's call the first generation the man, the grandfather. Verse 5. If a man is righteous and he practices justice and righteousness... ...and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel... ...or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman at certain times... ...if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge... ...does not commit a robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing... If he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and exercise, executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. In other words, you be a good man, you're going to live. Now let's look at his son, verse 10. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood, who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things, that is, his father. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines. He defiles his neighbor's wife. He oppresses the poor and the needy. He commits robbery. He does not restore a pledge, but he lifts up his eyes to the idols, and he commits abomination. He lends money on interest and he takes increase will he live just because his father was righteous will he live in his sin he will not live he has committed all these abominations he will surely be put to death his blood will be on his own his blood will be on his his own head the soul of the father belongs to God. The soul of the, so, the son belongs to God. And the soul who sins will die. So we've seen a good grandfather, a sinful son. Now let's look at his grandson. Verse 14. Now behold, he has a son who has observed all his father's sins. The father was an evil man. The son sees that his father is an evil man. He observed all his father's sins, which he committed, and observing does not do likewise. He's not going to live the life of his father. He does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor. He does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. So you see how there is change from generation to generation. A good grandfather, an evil son, and a good grandson. And this happens. This actually happens in real life. Even though this is an illustration going back to chapter 18 and verse 4 from the perspective of Ezekiel. Now notice the Jewish response in verse 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. You see the lesson. You see what was taking place among the Jews in their minds, the misunderstanding, and how God sent this message to clarify the misunderstanding. Now let's make three observations from this passage, and the lesson will be yours. The first is this, and that is all are accountable to God. If you look at the marginal rendering in the New American Standard, the word... Souls could be translated lives. Behold, all lives are mine. The life, the word soul could be translated life. The life of the Father as well as the life of the Son is mine. The person, again in the New American Standard, the marginal rendering for soul in the latter part of that verse is person. The person who sins will die. You cannot choose to be exempt from accountability. Once an individual reaches the age of accountability, he is subject to the judgment of God. Does it matter whether he goes to church? Does it matter whether his parents go to church? Does it matter whether his father is a good man or an evil man? Does it depend upon the, the spiritual nature of his grandfather or anybody around him? Or her. Once you reach the age of accountability, it is not your choice. You now become accountable to God. Why? Who gave you life? Who gave you your soul? Who is your creator? Regardless of how you behave, we were all created in the image of God. And our lives, for that reason, belong to Him. And for that reason, we are accountable to Him. Now, you may look at Ezekiel chapter 18 and say, but He was speaking to those who were in covenant fellowship with God. And that's correct. But you see a restatement of this principle in the New Testament, for example, in Romans chapter 14. And again, He is writing here to Christians But I want you to notice what he said. In the situation in Romans chapter 14, is one brother judging another brother based upon a matter of personal faith. In this specific case, it was the eating of meat sacrificed to idols. It didn't matter to God. It could become an issue, but for the most part, it didn't matter. But they were judging one another on that basis. Verse 10, Romans 14. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. When Jesus returns, whether one is in Christ or out of Christ, everyone, everyone shall bow the knee to the Lord. Everyone shall give praise to God. Why? Because they will recognize Even if they were outside of Christ, they were wrong. They've lived their lives in rebellion to God's will, but when the Lord returns, now there's going to be faith. It won't be saving faith. It'll just simply be a recognition that God is who he claimed to be. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. But again, he is writing to Christians. What about unbelievers? If If you question this, well, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, he is writing to Christians, but notice what he says about the lifestyle of those living outside of Christ, outside of covenant fellowship with God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3 For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. For the Gentiles were those who lived in rebellion to God, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they, that is those living outside of fellowship with God, they are surprised that you, that is those living in fellowship with God, do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But notice verse 5. They will give an account they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Why? Because all are accountable. Why are all accountable? Because all souls belong to God. So if you're here this morning and and you believe that in some way you're going to be able to push this decision of becoming a child of God or serving God faithfully, you're going to kick that can down the road. And you're going to take the chance that maybe because I have pushed it down the road, I'm going to be exempt from accountability. You're wrong. All are accountable to God because all souls belong to Him. The the second observation, and this is clearly stated, the soul who sins will die. Once you reach the age of accountability, you commit sin you're spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead. And you're going to remain in that condition until you choose life. You're going to remain in that spiritual state until you choose to become a child of God. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 20, the person who sins will die. And let me say this, all who reach the age of accountability eventually do sin and they fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 very clearly states that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The soul that sins will die. What's your your option at that point? Well, you remain dead, or you choose to render obedience to the gospel. And when you choose to render obedience to the gospel, you confess your faith, you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, you repent of your sins, and then you become immersed in the blood of Christ in the waters of baptism. And then you are raised to walk in newness of life. And at that point you live. Now you are alive, whereas before you were dead. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. Romans 6 and verse 23, Paul writes here, for the wages of sin is death." That's the payment for sin. You reach the age of accountability, all are accountable. You sin like all sin... And you are paid for that sin. And what you receive is spiritual death. But the free gift of God, Romans 6 verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But you have to make that choice. When you realize that your soul belongs to God, that you are accountable to God, and that upon your sin, your soul, your life is now in jeopardy, your eternal life is in jeopardy, because you're spiritually dead. It's your choice to become a child of the Father. And the final observation that I would make based upon Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, and this is the good news, and that is God's desire is not that you remain spiritually dead. Romans 6, 23, we just read it, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice the contrast. Wages. When you die spiritually, you deserve that. You have transgressed and broken God's commandments. But then God lays before you the choice of eternal life. And when you take that path, you don't earn it. You have to take the steps. There are actions required on your part. But as opposed to the wages of sin, you receive. A free gift because you can't earn eternal life. It's a matter of grace. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 23. Notice Ezekiel eighteen and verse twenty-three. God asked the question, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live. That's God's desire. And then in verse 27 of Ezekiel chapter 18, again, when a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and he practices justice and righteousness, he will save his life. Because he considered, he thought about his spiritual situation. He thought about the fact that his soul belongs to God, his life belongs to God, because God gave him life, and he's accountable to God, and that upon his sin, his soul has died. Because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions which he has committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. But the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not right. Are my way is not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Therefore, verse 30, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away. When the Jews on the day of Pentecost came to have faith in Jesus as being the Son of God, they were pierced to the heart and they asked the question, What shall we do? And what did Peter answer? Repent. Repent. God says to repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all of your transgressions which you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. We see a similar statement or a series of statements in 2 Peter made to those who were questioning whether or not the Lord would ever return. Well, let's ask the question today. Why didn't the Lord return yesterday? Why didn't he return this morning at 7 a.m.? if he doesn't return by the end of the day. How do you explain that? The Bible explains that. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's the only reason why the Lord has not returned. He wants all to be saved. Later this morning, we're going to extend an invitation. And if there are those here who have yet to obey the gospel, assuming the Lord does not return between now and then, which is frightening as this thought may be, He could. You will have an opportunity to become a child of God. You will have an opportunity to manifest and express your faith in conversion to Christ. But I'm going to tell you this, if after this lesson and before the prayer, you are so touched by your need to obey the gospel, you stand up and you say, stop, (laughs) and we'll stop if during the course of the singing of the songs that we're going to be singing as we continue in this worship period. Your concern is that the Lord's going to return before you have opportunity to obey the gospel. You say, stop. You run down here, and we'll baptize you. That's just how urgent salvation is because we do not know when the Lord is going to return. The us yours. Let's go to God now in prayer.